0: Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a weekly land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying, selling, and ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Learn from the experts, guys. This is free land education. Hard to find out there. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant, broker owner of Land Pro Real Estate, along with my partner and co-host, Teresa Martin. Good morning, Teresa. Hello. How are you this morning?
1: I'm great. Hope you are.
0: Oh, cool. We got a great show today.
1: Good. Yeah, you're going to love here it. He's in farm management. You know, oh, that's yeah, always but interesting r- to small me. Small farm management. That's cool. We well, okay? love it.
0: Yeah, we've had the big guys. Um, our office is at 207 East Main Street in downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. We serve all your real estate needs in western Piedmont, North Carolina, and southern Virginia. Just give us a shout, we'll help you out. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members. Our national website is www.RLI, for Realtors Land Institute, l a n d dot com. Now, I want you to listen to me. If you're in the process of buying or selling land or farms, go to this website first before you commit to anyone because we are 2,600 or 2,800 strong nationwide. Uh, there's 650 of us, including our guests this morning, that, ca- that carry the coveted accredited land consultant designation in the country. We'll save you money if you're buying, and we'll make you more money if you're selling because we know how to play the game. So, www.rliland.com. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsors, landhub.com. Buying or selling land, landhub.com is the place to be, and acrevalue.com. They have an incredible site for researching owners or what's for sale or what's not for sale and a lot of information. So if you, if you want to get Snoopy out there and find out what's going on, uh, go to acrevaluia.com. Teresa, our guest this morning is Ted Glob. Good morning, Ted. Good morning. How are you, sir?
2: Oh, we're having great fun here in
0: Arkansas. Oh, yeah. I, what a great state that is. Where are you calling from?
2: Calling from my office in Jonesboro, Arkansas.
0: Now, where's Jonesboro?
2: Northeast Arkansas.
0: Northeast. Right East. on
2: what we call Crowley's Ridge, some hills that run through the eastern part of the state of Arkansas, separating the White River Valley area and, more importantly, the Mississippi River Valley.
0: How far is the Mississippi from your office?
2: 30 miles.
0: Wow. As the crow flies. Yeah. You know, we were talking yesterday, and a couple of times anyway, I've known you for years, but, but um, there, there's so much history around that Mississippi River and earthquakes and wars and, and, and some of the most fertile soil in the world, in it?
2: We've got soil that is 1,500 feet deep.
0: Good gracious. Uh,
2: when I worked for Lee Wellston Company, I got a lot of war stories from there, but they drilled a deep well for municipal water in the town of Wilson, they hit cypress logs at 800 feet and had to pull back out and move over because they couldn't get through them. <laughs> wow.
0: That was from the old logging days, right? 800
2: feet. Well, we also had that little shake in about 1811 called the New Madrid earthquake and the Mississippi River ran right north. There's a real foot lake in western Tennessee that wasn't there.
0: sunken before the shake <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well let's get into what you do Arkansas, and you worked with your family farm, feed and seed business, the ice house back then, I guess. And after graduating from high school, you continued to do education, receiving your bachelor's degree in animal science at the University of Arkansas. What a great school that is. Following graduation, yeah. you joined the Air Force and played a little bit in Vietnam, flying around. And after six years, and thank you for your service, by the way, you went back to Arkansas and got your master's degree in agriculture economics. You joined uh, North Star Farm Management in 79, and then uh, you've been with several companies working your way up and learning the business, uh, looking at your, your background, which is on your website, by the way. I'd like to mention that a couple times. Uh, that's www.glaubim.com g-l-a-u-b-i.com. Now, please. Lou, that's
2: G L A U B F M F M
0: Oops, 73, and see, here we go. All right, we'll make that correction. All right, but um, please go to that if you're listening to the show, because there's tons of information we're going to cover, uh, as long as you're not driving, okay? Just one caveat there. So, 1993, you founded your Glob Farm Management and uh, continued your 14 career in providing agricultural services throughout the Mississippi Delta region. You manage farmland in Arkansas, Mississippi, and Missouri that grow crops such as corn, cotton, uh, grain, sorghum, rice, and soybeans. In 1990, November 9th, he received the accredited farm management designation, which awards, is awarded by the American Society of Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers, which I had your national president on a couple of years. I don't remember the podcast number. I should have looked it up. I apologize, but... For years of experience. Tell us just briefly about American Farm Management.
2: The American Society of Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers is, in my opinion, the premier organization, just like a CPA for accounting or stuff like that, the accredited farm manager or the accredited rural appraiser or the accredited agricultural consultant or the review appraisal accreditation with the society are the top Accreditations and professionals in the business, just like RLI, working in the land, the American Society has the cream of the cream, working in farm management, land appraisal, and consulting.
0: You're also a member of the National Association of Realtors, Memphis Agricultural Club, and the Jonesburg Chamber of Commerce. What's the uh, Memphis Agricultural Club, just briefly?
2: they used to be when i lived in memphis but it's the primary people in memphis and goes back to the history when memphis was and still a major cotton buyer but it was the cotton market and people would get together and update their knowledge on current markets activities etc and they still put on some real good programs of the changing trends And Memphis is fortunate to have the Memphis Ag Center there, too, with uh, some extensive
0: research plots keeping you updated on new technology. Right. Ted's also licensed in Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri, and Tennessee. So if those are areas of interest, you definitely want to get in touch with Ted, and uh, we'll help you if you need some help getting there. But he's also a licensed and bonded auctioneer. What type of auctions do you do?
2: We primarily work with farmland auctions. Our core business is, or has been, farm management and all the accreditations and all that. We work in the area to take care of our clients, whether they're acquiring property, liquidating property, or wanting to make an ownership change, that's our focus. We try to be an information center so that we can provide the best service possibly for absentee, landowner, client. Right. Now, we're expanding into other areas of investor types and things like that that we didn't concentrate as much on in the past. Right. As I jokingly call it, our market has historically been the Antilles. That's somebody third, fourth generation ownership that's inherited a farm, and they're trying to figure out how to take care of it
0: the best bit of their ability sure and that's where professional uh folks like you come in most of you know i mean how, how can i mean how can you make decisions about stuff if you don't really know what you're making decisions about i mean you gotta we all need guidance in these specialties and, and you guys uniquely you know and there's some big guys out there big companies out there three and four oh. generations and uh but you guys are are the small you, you work with the small farm management which is um kind of unique and we want to kind of emphasize that and for those that do have the small farms and it doesn't matter if you're in uh ted's uh, backyard or the areas that we mentioned uh what a great consultant we that's one thing about the realtors the land people uh the farm people we we network we help each other and uh different than the, the residential uh, real estate brokers you know it's just a different 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 group but uh we we do help each other that's true right
2: Even though we call our company farm management, really, truly today we're becoming more asset management. We're upgrading the productivity of the farms, preparing for transitional changes from one generation to the other, and it's nothing but following good professional business plans. One of the first things that we want to do is ask the client what are their goals and objectives and you'd be surprised how few people really understand the complexities of their asset or what they can do with it. And that's where we start and carry the ball from there. I tongue-in-cheek joke I've got a master's in ag econ, but I should have got a PhD in psychology.
0: <laughs> Touche. I think that, that, that uh, would relate to any type of realtor or realtor broker out there.
2: <laughs> uh, discovering what the people really want to do in working with them, hammering out that goals and objectives. Ted Glob can manage a farm one way to meet my needs, but then I have to manage the farm to meet the needs and the desires of our clients. Sure, of course. And that is a real art that's developed over time. Yep,
0: and a real challenge, too, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So,
2: When you take over a farm, that is a very personal relationship. I tongue in cheek joke. That's like me telling a gentleman I'm taking his wife out to dinner and he's not invited. You got to have a very good, Uh-oh. trustworthy relationship.
0: Uh oh. We might have You're to.
2: taking we, care of a very important asset yeah.
0: for that person. We might have to edit that out of the show. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that that's an interesting analogy, but I can relate to it. <laughs> so, uh, I think
2: farmland is very personal, a lot of pride, particularly when the type
0: of farms that we do which is third or fourth generation oh, ownership well people have hung on to it my mother's family we got 900 acres plus or minus great granddaddy and granddaddy bought 18 farms between 1909 and 1929 not contiguous but all in the immediate area uh, mother was one of 10 children and you know how that populates out and uh, yep. we just went uh, two months ago uh, to the sixth generation uh, acquiring part of the original property and not one inch has ever been sold outside the family. so I know exactly what you're talking about.
2: You've just described a term that we call dilution factor okay Great granddad can make all the decisions and run it the way he wanted to, but his four sons you start having a little bit of rub. they have a little bit of different difference in their goals and objectives and by the time you get to that third generation, Oh boy. You really have to start working with people to help them transition with the farm to
0: maximize benefit for all parties. Um, that can be a challenge because I relate to that sometimes when we uh, get involved in a, in a uh, farm sale, land sale, and uh, there's 28 heirs to an estate and their spouses, and uh, that that gets real interesting trying to trying to get that all sorted out, but. Uh, you know, it's you, you. just do what you got to do. Our goal is to help people. Uh, at least that's mine, and, and I know we have a lot of the same same ideas, Ted. Uh, but uh, you know, it's, just being uh,
2: sure that you got all the legal structure of that ownership
0: yeah. documented and recorded in your local county where you're selling the property seems to be a major issue for us. Yeah. Hey, our guest this morning is uh, Ted Glob. This is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Landhub.com. Are you looking to buy or sell land? Landhub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide. And AcreValue, if you want to know who owns the field down the road or when it sold last year, that's the best place to research it, and it's all free, AcreValue.com. When and how did you get started in a career in the land business? If you really want to go back to it. Yeah, we want ancient history here.
2: guy. And I, you know, I'm a third-generation Arkansan. My great-grandfather came here and cleared up the timber, and that was in 1902. My grandfather bought out his father-in-law in the feet and seed business. <clears throat> Dad took that over, and then when I was young, we had a livestock farm. Well, Granddad sold the cattle one week, the hogs the next week, and the farm the next week. And that kind of cut me out pretty bad because I was always like being around the farm and livestock. So I went to work for a friend of Dad's who had registered Angus cattle, got me into showing Angus cattle. <clears throat> and Melvin showed me the ropes on that, and I was trying to figure out how I could be a herdsman until I met the manager for Hall Dobbs, and he'd been on the road for six months, finally made it back to Memphis, and was going to stay two weeks and go for another three months before he came back, and I decided that wasn't quite the lifestyle I wanted, but I did want to work in livestock, and that's the reason I got the undergraduate degree. Okay. But then Uncle Sam, that was during Vietnam.
0: Yep, me too.
2: Goes to go to flight school. Instead of wading through the mud, I thought it was a lot easier to, fly over it. And also in school I worked summers in college to get enough money to finish the last two semesters with an individual at home that was way ahead of the power curve. He double cropped his entire farm. He did a minimum tillage program and all this just kind of set the pace for where I wanted to go. There was a Southern Plantation Lee Wilson Company, that I used to just dream, and it was a wild dream that I wanted to be a farm manager for them. And many years later, that's what I ended up doing. Really? That's where I was before I started my own business. Uh, Wish came true. I was introduced to the Northern Trust Company uh, out of grad school. They hired a friend of mine. Then, about Six months later, they were looking for another position, and I was able to go to work for them.
0: Interesting. So when did you, you start your business? We mentioned the date, uh, but when when was that when you started your business?
2: My business started in June of 1993. Okay. So this coming June, we'll have been in business 30 years.
0: Good for you. Yeah, I got my license in 94, so right behind you.
2: And Lee Wilson Company was nice enough let me take their book of business and go out on my own. Uh, Lee Wilson Company was in a small town, 1,200 people, and I needed more support in the financial, the legal, and stuff like that to better serve my clientele.
0: So that's what inspired you to start your own business, I guess.
2: Yes. I saw the need for services. Uh, I had a certain goal and objective that I was interested in. So I took a leap of faith and started the business. Gotcha. But it's a tough business to get a book of
0: management to get you started. Well, the, uh, I'm it's sure quite, there's a, looks like a chicken in the egg. Yeah. You can't do one till you got the other. Right, but I'm sure there's a lot of trust involved there, right? A lot of relationship yes, building and trust.
2: And proving to people that you have knowledge, and to be honest, learning how to. Properly promote, because I sell more business by accident than I do on purpose. Yeah. Because you know, you know, all you want to do is be there providing information, and I'll throw one out. We put out a quarterly mailer to people who are interested.
0: All they have to do is go to their website that you mentioned earlier. Well, you mentioned it again. www. G L A U B F M dot and you can sign up for that quarterly newsletter. Yeah. Hey, and guys, listen to me. That letter really doesn't yeah. promote our business so no. much, it's
2: provide information for the absentee yeah.
0: landowner, yeah. what's
2: relevant for him, yeah. the things that he needs to consider.
0: Well, I just read the one that you sent me, and I wasn't aware of it. And uh, I, hey, listen, if, if you want to learn about it, the, he, it there's a wealth of knowledge, okay? So subscribe to that magazine or that newsletter. I'm sorry, Quarterly Magazine, Quarterly Newsletter. Golly. Newsletter. Yeah, yeah. And that's what
2: Glob Farm Management is really trying to do. We don't want to be the biggest management company. We just want to be the best we can be and be an information center and in providing the different expertises, expertise that it takes
0: to take care of an absentee landowner or a person who wants to invest in farmland. Right. Ted, how many farms farms are you managing now? What's kind of the average acreage?
2: We manage a total of 39 farms. I manage 18, and Jeffrey manages 18. And Sam's just starting. He's got three.
0: Okay. And what's an average size farm?
2: Our average size is going to be 400 acres roughly. Okay. we we'll go down, I have managed 60 acres at one time, 160s are not uncommon, and then we have some larger ones that are three, 4,000 acres. So it's quite diverse.
0: Yeah, and is that in all four states that you were represented in?
2: Currently, we're in Boot Hill, Missouri, eastern Arkansas, and western Mississippi. Okay. We I keep the Tennessee license since Tennessee is on this site. And I have worked in Tennessee in the past.
0: Sure.
3: Well.
2: Another comment I'll make in our area, we have the opportunity to create a lot more value than is typical. We do a lot of land leveling and drainage. When I worked for Lee Wilson Company, Steve Wilson convinced me the three important things in the Mississippi Delta is drainage, drainage, and drainage. And then we go fix the drainage.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd say.
2: We had the little discussion. South East uh, Missouri is the equivalent. Their drainage district, the Little River drainage district, is the equivalent of dirt moved as Panama Canal. There's 800 miles of drainage ditches. The Mississippi River's levied. The Arkansas River's levied and locked and dammed. The White River's levied. The San Francis River's levied. And we have all these beautiful lakes in northern Arkansas, southern Missouri that are flood control lakes. Mm -hmm. Uh, The White River is one of the biggest human boondoggles in the United States. We have trout fishing, that's not natural. We have nice fishing lakes, water quality lakes in northern Arkansas (coughs) that are there for flood control, but now they're boating Beaver Lake, It's almost fully allocated to northwest arkansas where the broiler industry is at and then we released the water in the winter flooded our lowland woods that was for duck hunting then some farmers want some of that water for irrigation and nobody's working together and everybody could benefit if we managed it properly but it's a mess too many conflicting interests but that's what we're doing. Is we're really managing water. We're not. We don't have a shortage of water like you do in California or Texas or stuff like that. We have a what management issue. First, we have to get it off. Then we're dry in the summer, so then we have to irrigate. And we have a good diversity of crops.
0: Teresa's got a question for you.
1: Okay. Ted, what core items that have remained the, have remained the same? Like. What has changed, and and where do you see the industry going in the future?
2: Well, one that stays the same is developing or working with people's personalities and hammering out their goals. Now, we are changing from what I jokingly called Aunt Tilly. That is somebody who was raised during the Depression, and it's what I jokingly call the accumulator generation. They...
0: who manages his farms? He has his own team. Okay. Uh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> he, who owns the gold, makes the, the rules.
1: you can do to the barn now i may have drifted off on your question no you're fine no i like where you're going
0: you know i saw someplace and i can't remember where it was people say you can't make money if you invest in land and i there was a whole list of 84 as i remember i think it was 84 different ways you can make money on land (laughs) it's just uh that's one of the biggest
2: things that we focused on Most of the farms that I started with had real problems, so we had to fix them up. Uh, You noticed in the notes when I worked for Lee Wilson Company, I was with them 10 years. We put 15,000 acres to grade. I put in 13 center pivots. (laughs) So I was fairly familiar with moving dirt and uh, engineering designed irrigation systems. We got way, way out of the box of things that we would undertake. We actually moved county roads to put in center pivots. We moved ditches so that we could precision level fields in a more square manner. One project, the average cut on the ditch was six feet. And we filled an equivalent ditch. We had four dirt pan, or four tractors with dirt bands running two track hoes, a D-8 bulldozer, and a rubber tired backhoe, all in the process of digging the new ditch, filling the old one. It rained right halfway. We were digging the new ditch at the outlet side and filling the old ditch on the outlet side, too, so we had a plug in the middle. <coughs> Excuse me. It's okay. So we had to pump the water out of the old ditch over to the new ditch. And we were taking the dirt out of the ditches and putting them into the field and leveling them.
0: Ted, Ted you got to have a—you have to have a long range of profit to offset these costs you're talking about, my lord.
2: Uh, You—you'll be surprised. One of the biggest things you're investing pre-tax dollars because it can all be expense, and it's a method, methodical operation. Yes, you got a lot of money, but you immediately. Eighty percent of that money you pay in improving that farm goes into the value immediately. In farms that we're doing that on, I have in the past run internal rate of returns in excess of 18 percent. Really? And the last one I ran was 10 to 12 percent.
0: That's annualized, right?
2: Yes. Uh, It's an internal rate of return over a 10-year period. And for somebody who's looking for an IRA, looking for long-term type of returns, uh, you know, if you're in a 30% tax bracket, you get 80% of the value back immediately. Heck, you just made a 10% return because you get 100% of the dollars because you expense it. We have tripled income on farms.
0: Yeah, and look at the look how land prices have gone up, uh, incredible. And even here, hey, our guest today is Ted Glob. This is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. View thousands of properties for sale at LandHub.com and also AcreValue. If you want to know who owns the field down the road or what it sold for last year, the best place to research land all for free is AcreValue.com.
1: Okay, gentlemen, you guys are over my head with a lot of this stuff, and we were talking about conservations during our break, and I'm thinking, what has a conservation got to do with a farm? So, Ted, maybe you can help me out here.
2: Okay. Uh, Arkansas is a major rice producer. We produce almost 50% of the rice in the United States. And historically, we've raised rice on, relatively flat land but there still was elevation differences if you've ever flown over this area you'll notice little wigglies going through the fields and all that and that's what we or what we do there is we survey the fields we used to take a stick and follow and walk through the field and find a elevation grade and every two three tenths elevation change you'd put a levee or a berm Oh, at least 12 inches to 24 inches tall to hold the water so you keep the water in the field oh two to four no more than six inches deep and that's how we maintain a flood on the property or on the rice field and you do that to control weeds now when we precision level we shoot that field and we originally used lasers, now we use GPS, and we fix that field so you can run a levee straight across that field. Just by doing that, you increase the amount of the field that's actually in production, and you reduce the amount of water it takes to irrigate that crop because you got less levees, more uniform flood on the rice field, and you reduce irrigation water about 25%. Now we have another method we call zero grade, that gets rid of all the levees on the field. The field is tabletop flat, just like your uh, dining room table. You put a marble on it; it doesn't move, doesn't go in any direction. And by doing that, we pick up another 10 to 20 percent efficiency right. uh, in the production. And these are all new technologies that we utilize to Im- reduce our cost and improve the productivity. It also increases the value of the farm, makes it easier to farm, makes it easier to farm with larger equipment. Have I confused you yet?
1: Yes. Well, <laughs> you ever <laughs> seen pictures of, of
0: Vietnam and the rice paddies? It's sort—I of, mean, they're—they're they're, isn't that kind of what they've done naturally for hundreds of years, thousands of years?
2: Yes, sir. The rice paddies, and you flood the rice to keep weeds from growing in it. Although today we do do uh, furrow irrigated rice where you just run water down the middles on a freaking enough schedule to keep the soil wet, controlling weeds is a little more challenging. But going from precision level to zero grade to furrow irrigated, management complications just keep increasing.
0: Is there any herbicides or pesticides used in that crop production?
2: one of our problems on the economics of cotton and rice. Relatively speaking, they're not as big a crops. Our breeding programs haven't been as effective as corn and soybeans. There's not a lot of research done in uh, the herbicides, etc. Herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides. So costs are going up. Yields are flat. herbicides more accurate other chemicals and then with the breeding we've reduced the amount of insecticides that we have to use particularly cotton
1: so i bet (laughs)
2: Uh because
1: i am a health fanatic and when i go to the grocery store and i see all this organic stuff it's really none of it's organic it's all got herbicides and insect stuff on it i guess Really? <laughs> hate to well,
0: bust, hate to bust your bubble.
2: <laughs> a lot of the technology that we use it comes from Mother Nature, it's just we modify it a little bit. Okay. Uh, I am not pro-organic per se, I understand the philosophy, but I come from an animal science background feeding a ruminant animal and I use a fertility program called the Allbrick method. Dr. Allbrick came out of uh, University of Missouri, he was actually a biologist that became an agronomist and there seems to be a balanced formula. Though. These elements in the soil increase production, uh, natural disease and that kind of stuff and that's rather exciting And the cover crop issue right now, although I'll confess, I've had 10 failures for any one success. uh, And that's just a learning curve. The microbiology in the soil is probably one of our best defenses. Uh, Organic has some ideas, but there's some deficiencies there. It's balancing the act of the two. And I think with improving fertility and certain inputs, we can reduce the amount of uh, fungicides and herbicides that we have to use. (coughs) In other words, personally, I don't like to use the nematocytes to get rid of nematodes. I think there's better ways of managing it than trying to kill every microbe in the soil. You need to balance the microbes appropriately.
0: Well, God created it all, and he put everything there, and— if If human beings would work like nature, we wouldn't have any problems, but it's uh, they communicate through the root system and trees do it, Flora does it. Uh, you know they they take care of themselves. but we got to get involved and and try to manipulate everything, which you know it's just what it is. The
2: more we work with Mother Nature, the better we are. as a joke, I'm a humble servant of Mother Nature. She deals the cards and I play them the best I can. Amen. I get tired of her slapping me to get my attention when I get off
0: track. <laughs> Touche. We should uh, immortalize that. What a great saying.
2: But you'll be amazed just like the doctor takes a soil, I mean, a blood test from you and you're looking for certain chemical elements in your blood for the optimum. There's a correlation the same way in the soil. And that's why I like the Albrick method. It's It's really worked for me. I got one farm that we made over 100 bushel soybeans in a yield contest. We've taken a farm that wouldn't do 35 bushel beans. to We're averaging 80.
1: Good gracious. Wow.
2: And we got corn yields in the 230, 240, which I won't win a war in a coffee shop, but it'll pay the banker.
1: Well, the yields have to continue to improve because we're getting more mouths to feed more people and no more land so the land has to be efficient so i guess that's what you help all these people do
2: yeah on this one particular farm i think you'll like this one we've been using chicken litter as our core source for fertilizer for the last 15 years and that's what's built up these soils now the challenge that i have as a manager is collecting all the data and analyzing it. We took manure samples on different lots of chicken litter we got. We discovered quite a bit of variance. We're taking soil samples based upon electronic conductivity, which tells the different zones of soil in a field. And then we're sampling those in each zone. Then we're making a recommendation by zone and with the GPS variable rate equipment, we put what we need, where we need it, hopefully in the right amount. This then we have yield maps that shows us where our best yields were and our worst yields are. Processing that data is where I'm pulling out my hair right now. And That's what my young guy, Sam King, that just went to work for us, has a master's in spatial economics in ag. And we're trying to improve our ability to collect the data it's very interesting to me in the fall I can actually take one of my clients pull up his mind John Deere that we have access I can tell where his equipment's at on the farm what it's doing
0: and, uh, and he's not even driving it
2: <laughs> uh, there's somebody in there we're not down to driverless equipment we're working there
0: right I mean the labor is tech-
2: going to be a big issue labor is the issue
0: yeah, you know it's um, that's the beautiful thing about our show, uh, is uh, the quality of people like yourself we get on, and 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 there's just so much technology. We've done a lot. We've done a lot of uh, shows with uh, uh, Rick the uh, colleges, and, and a lot of the uh, professors at the universities, the ag universities, and crop universities, and and four-legged inter- and two-legged, inter- you know. But uh, the technology is just, it just keeps, I mean, the crazy stuff you can do now. And a lot of these guys are sponsors at our national convention coming up in two weeks or, or in Denver. Uh, and uh, it just blows my mind how quick, I mean, we're going on our fifth year and I, I can already see changes in technology in just in the last three or four years of improvements and satellite imagery and, and uh, soils and... and, and It's just, it's.
2: it's We have more and more data that one of my biggest concerns, one, staying off the bleeding edge. You can sink a whole lot of money in some of this technology that doesn't really give you an answer.
0: Right. That was my point, too.
2: The, The other part of it, I'm seriously concerned that we're making this year's decisions on crop based on last year's crop and last year's weather. And this year's weather is not going to match last year, so we're making the wrong decision. Uh, During the Depression era and that kind of stuff, you had 10-year rotations that took out all the weather factor. Today, a three-year research program is a long-term research program. I'm wondering if we're not jumping a little too quick. In the example farm that I'm talking about, we have, The nutrient levels mapped for the entire period that we've been running this program with annual tests, and it's jumping all over the place, and it's presenting me a challenge to make sure that we're getting the right products where we need them. We've got to mine out of that data. I think we're getting a factor from which crop we're planting is changing what is being consumed.
0: You, you posed a question for us. What would you do differently if you could go back in time to the beginning of starting your business? What would you do different?
2: I'd like to have the experience I started
0: then. Well, me too. <laughs> so would <laughs> Teresa.
2: <laughs> and the other one, it, it's really tough to get this business started. It works a whole lot better already out of an established business, and that's what I'm trying to do right now is teach people to replace me and carry it forward. The other philosophical thing, I have clients that allowed me to make a living and I want to make sure that they're taken care of. Uh, Takes a whole lot of general knowledge to be successful in this business. And we try to be generalist and then have access to all the various technology that we need. And I'll use an example. We need on-site crop consultants. We need the best we can get. I can't run from New Madrid, Missouri, to the Louisiana border. It's about a 120 miles north to a little over 150 south. Uh, I can't be there every day like I need to be. So I have to do it on, you know, weekly or periodically uh, inspections. So i got to depend on a guy who's there just about every day and communicate with him. Now, satellites and drones. Sam's even got me flying a drone. I see the real right. benefit of that in collecting data, but it's not a cure-all.
0: Yeah. Well, this
2: allowed me to trespass on the neighbor, and he doesn't get us mad.
0: <laughs> Are you what? What? What is the quality of the actual on, on-site farm managers today? Are they hard to find?
2: are really good, the next generation is going to be extremely challenged. Uh, I covered a little bit about the people I worked with and the exposure, being raised in a livestock business, in, in the feed and seed business, working with farmers I guess since I was four years old. I can remember shoveling corn cobs and I don't think I was five years old and all these people adding experience and knowledge. How we do that for the next generation is gonna be extremely challenging. My personal goal or thought process is both Jeffrey, my partner, and Sam, our new employee, were interns for us. And that's what we're trying to do is run interns through our business, either help them out, find out where they wanna go Identify those who really want to do what we do and see if we can't bring them back in at some point in time. Because this business is totally different. All our research, when you really look at it, is for the operation side. The only place that I've really found the best information for the absentee landowner is the University of Illinois.
0: Interesting. Why?
1: lisa has got a light bulb. Yeah, I do. I mean, we're running out of time, and, and there's so much oh, we here got to about talk 10 minutes. about. I know, but this is something I want to touch on before we do run out of time is your appraisal service. Like, as a real estate professional, you don't really run comps on a farm, so the appraisal would be very important. And I see that you guys provide that service. Really? So if I go up, for instance, I go to a farm that has been inherited by someone who doesn't specifically want to carry that on, and they've decided they want to sell it, what is the first thing that I need to do as a real estate agent, what's the first thing I need to tell these people?
2: Well, you have a list, first thing you need to review, what's the base you got in the farm, what's your alternative investment, what are going to be the tax consequences? What do you really want to do? And I'll give one example. I had a CPA on one of my clients who decided it was easier to divide money than it was acres, and I won't disagree with that. So I you know, talking to the client, and I said, well, where's your alternative investment? He said, well, we'll put it in one of the big CDs. It'll make about 2%. <laughs> <laughs> then I said, okay. You'll lose about... 20% of the gross because of the value inherited that and all the improvements that we've done. So let me run an internal rate of return on this. So we ran an internal rate of return and compared that, and he was making a 10% internal rate of return, and this was a high income individual. And I said, we're still appreciating, and we've got a lot of these expenses already in, and there's potential to do even better in the future with less inputs, Got the high cost ones in. He says, You know, I like that farm. And I said, Yeah, we could always sell it. It's in a hot area that will be easy to sell at auction and get converted to money. And then at that time, you'll have less tax issues than you do today. And that, as long as the rules stay the same the way they are right now, when you pass, you get a stepped up basis. And there's a lot of people that get in that uh, donut hole they really can't afford to sell it because of the complexities the other part of it we try to work with farmers and provide landowners and provide them a whole lot more options of how to transition one way or the other
0: we like them donut holes management that kind of guy <laughs> but you know it's just, just to stay on that appraisal stuff uh, uh, I have the only four hour CE class on the subject of land in the state of North Carolina I find out it's the only one in the country which is kind of strange but that's, that's our industry but uh, one of my uh, CPA, one of my appraisers uh, MAI appraisers uh, is a teacher for the North Carolina Board of Appraisers and he would taken my class when I first started it, and several years later he called me up and says, "Louis, said, uh, would you be interested in writing a class for the North Carolina Board of Appraisers uh, on the subject of land because they have no land education either, which blows your mind. Uh, and I agreed to do it. I said, but if you'll do the appraisal side, I'll do the land side, and we put it together. And it was called Rural Land Values. Is it an art or is it a science? And I pulled up everything that I could conceivably find from hurricanes and stuff underwater to sinkholes to you name it. And, uh, you know, when we finish the course, we asked, you know, what is the value of land? I mean, is, is this stuff, is it an art or is it a science? And and they kind of agreed it just depends on, you know, it's what the buyer wants to pay and what the seller wants to receive. and There's no exact value on I don't care how many numbers and how many sources you use. Uh, I mean, that seems to be my opinion. Do you agree on that?
2: I really Touched on uh, in conversation before, both an appraisal and land value. I'm coming up with a term I call measurables, and really and truly, it's things that we can economically measure today when we're buying six, seven thousand dollar an acre of land versus when we were paying six or seven hundred dollars an acre of land. We can go to satellites, lidar. Do a survey, find out if a precision level farm is really precision level. If it's not, what's the yardage going to take to get it to where you want it to be? You can do spot fertility tests because it's getting more and more complex to get the fertility where you want it for top yields. Uh, You can test the wells, find out if they're actually working. Do they provide enough water for them? Go look at your drainage. Make sure it's open, sit down and see what your soils are like, and then getting any production history. The old school of finding your production history from the FSA office is somewhat pretty well dated because it's uh, so old. Whereas today, your average production history from crop insurance may be a better item. So there's more and more information that you're able to collect from one source or the other
0: that wasn't there when I started in this business 40 years ago. Is that more accurate, you think?
2: When I cut a piece of rope in half, I still got half, right? You got it. So, yes, it's a lot more accurate, but there's still always
0: variability. Yeah, of course, yeah. And that's what makes the, you know, you can have 10 appraisers appraise uh, a piece of property, you're going to get 10 prices. I mean, you know. It's just, well,
2: and then the other thing, an appraiser's looking backwards.
0: Yep, exactly. He's taking
2: sales that have already occurred. Yep. Up market, he's going to be low. In a down go- market, declining, he's going to be high. And us as realtors, we're trying to figure out from what the transactions were and the economic trends what the price is going to be, which is a little different.
0: Exactly. With about people a, don't understand yeah. that. Uh,
2: and you have a lot of other dynamics. In our area right now, we're having a broiler industry move in, and that's put us into corn production and made the chicken litter available for us. The corn production has increased our organic matter, increased our uh, production of beans, and this is putting pressure on our rice and cotton ground. The dryland countries that don't, are not as cloudy as us have an advantage on the cotton production, particularly during harvest. I lost a half a bale in one farm down in southeast Arkansas this last year. That farm used to produce a 1,000 acres of cotton. Now we're less than 200, and it it's strictly a weather risk.
0: Well, with the, just a little bit of time left, um, how do people get in touch with you, Ted? Well, look up Blob Farm Management. Our website is
2: at www. G-L-A-U-B-F-M dot C-O-M. My email address is pretty simple. It's Ted at GlobFM T-E-D, at G-L-A-U-B-F-M for farm management, dot com. Uh, Jeffrey's Jeffrey the same, Sam's the same, and uh, Jim's the same. And then our office number is 870-870. 972 we try to be uh, as accessible as possible because answering people's problems and helping them solve their problems is really our job and if we can't do it directly hopefully we do it indirectly for you and if you got a friend that has a problem then we would like <coughs> you to give us a call
0: ted you've been a great guest today and uh Teresa's made a lot of notes here, and I hope other folks have too. And uh, we'd love to have you back on because we, we, we didn't get through everything that we wanted to today. Uh, but you're more than welcome to come back anytime and stay around while we just close out here, okay? Okay. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. All of our questions and comments are welcomed. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for the real estate agents who do not have a source of lead education. All of our shows can be found on our master website, www.letstalkland.net. That's .net. You'll also find us on Spotify and Podbean. Teresa, how do they get in touch with you?
1: They can call me at 336-209-2937 or email me at Teresa.mylandpro at gmail.com.
0: My email is lou, L-O-U, at mylandpro.com. My cell phone number is 336-669-1405, and it's on all the time. And our website is www.mylandpro.com. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsors this morning, landhub.com. Landhub, sell your land, land of your dreams. It's a great site, Guy. We use a lot, make a lot of money, landhub.com. And acre value. If you want to know who owns the field next down the road or what it sold for last year, the best place to research is all free is acrevalue.com and much much more. So check it out, acrevalue.com.
3: Ronnie, how are they get in touch with us here? Well, Lou, then go to our website, go to wkte1090.com and check out all of our lineup entertainment that we have throughout the week. Lineup entertainment. Yes. All kinds of entertainment there. Well, that's yeah, kind of it. Shows interesting. and everything. Shows? You're even on there. No way. What yes, about Teresa? Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Did they add her picture? I don't know. I don't think what so What about yet. Shadow? Yeah, I think Shadow's on there.
0: All right. Got to have Shadow.
3: Yeah. We'll have to get a new picture.
0: Oh. Put on there. So, how else could they find us?
3: Uh, they can go to the Simple Radio app and download that and hear us anywhere in the world, uh, all over. How easy is it, Teresa.
1: Simple.
3: Simple. Yes, right. Go to the Simple Radio app, type in WKTE, and it'll bring it right
0: up. That's 24 hours a day? 24-7. Worldwide? Universe-wide? World. Yes. I mean, Everywhere. like, way out there, right? Yeah, way out there. Golly. Everywhere. And we
3: won some nice awards. Yeah, years in a row, being the top beach and oldies radio station and the triad there on the East Coast. I wonder why that is. Because of we only we... play what, Teresa?
1: Happy music. That's right.
3: You want to be happy? Everybody wants to be happy this day and so time. So that's
0: why we're so successful.
3: Huh? That's right. Everybody's happy. Got and you won a nice award, too, right? Yes, uh, the Reader's Choice Announcer of the Year Award. Wow, and the station's won a few? Yes.
0: Eight years? Eight in- years in a row. Wow. Hey, we'll see you next week. Hope you enjoyed the show.